While you're standing, if we're going to turn our attention to 2 Samuel chapter 11. <clears throat> we'll do a little jumping around here. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. And the Bible says, And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab his servant with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 7. We understand in between these, uh, these two chapters here that David, not only did he look upon Bathsheba, but he fell headlong into adultery. David was a king in this moment. We understand that scripture said that uh, according to the word of God, he should have been on the battlefield. Second Samuel 12 and 7, the Bible says, And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man, thus saith the Lord God of Israel. I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And, that it, and if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Verse 13 says, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Verse 12 of that same chapter, the Bible says, Then David arose from the earth, and he washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel, and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. Psalm 51 and 7, and I'll be finished here. Psalm 51, the Bible says, Purge me with hyssop, verse 7. And I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Hallelujah. And verse 12 is what I want to preach tonight. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. The help of the Holy Ghost tonight, I want to preach restoration of tarnished joy. Restoration of tarnished joy. What if you can place your Bibles to the side? I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. Thank you, Jesus. Lord Jesus, we love you tonight, God. I'm thankful for your word tonight, Lord Jesus. Your word is quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray tonight, Lord Jesus, oh God, it be a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. I pray, oh God, for every individual that's in this room. I pray that your spirit will fall in this place uh, on the saved and the unsaved, the backslider, oh God, and those uh, that are on fire for you. I pray that these altars be filled, oh God, with repentance uh, and restoration by the end of this service. Uh, and we've been careful to give you all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor, for it's due your name and somebody shout in Jesus name put your hands together one more time for the Lord thank you Jesus 
You can be seated in the fear of the Lord. Thank you for standing. Throughout the years of David, we see that David was anointed by Samuel as a young man. We see the different things that he did throughout his life. He fought Goliath and he spends much time in war. He's a man. Uh, he's a man that knows how to use his sword. We understand that throughout David's kingship, he spent, uh, he spent time fleeing from King Saul. And uh, no doubt he conquered many different areas of interest. He was also anointed over Judah and Israel. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 13 and 14, as Samuel begins the process of stripping King Saul of his kingship by telling him that the Lord had sought him a man after his own heart. He's talking about David. David also is described as cunning in play, a mighty valiant man, a man of war, and a prudent in matters, a comely person. And most of all, I think this is the greatest thing that anybody can say about you is that the Lord is with him. The Lord is with him. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, we also see that, Dan, uh, that David is the one that danced as he brought in the ark of the covenant into the city of David. He was one that was very, he was very familiar with the presence of God. And he did not take the presence of God lightly. But David also had many responsibilities as being a king. David also, uh, he, I'm sure he had a busy schedule and he had a lot of things and a lot of war that was going on and he had to lead the troops into battle. And at one point in time, it was something that David loved to do. But when we read our text tonight, there came a time when kings would go to battle. David should have been the one in the forefront. David should have been the one leading. Uh, hallelujah. David should have been the one uh, uh, that was standing out in front. But somewhere along the way, David found himself David found himself walking on the king's roof let me remind somebody tonight that living for God uh, this thing is great it's awesome it's wonderful I, I enjoy living for God but this thing is not a cruise ship it's a battleship living for God hallelujah you're going to go through some things uh, and you've got to always be armored you've got to always be ready for battle and for war I don't know about you tonight, but you need to understand uh, that it's never a good time to lay your weapon down. It's never a good time to lay your sword down. It's never a good time to go through a season of prayerlessness. It's never a good time to come to church uh, and sit down on your worship uh, and sit down on your praise. Uh, there's never a... Jesus... I don't know about you tonight. I feel the Holy Ghost. Uh, there's no such things as any days off uh, when it comes to living for God. When it comes to living for the, I'm, oh God, I'm about to get in trouble right now. Hallelujah. I travel the country. I do this full time. I'm a full time evangelist. I've been doing this uh, for three and a half years now. And I've been seeing some folks that, that decide to come to a midweek service uh, that was running the aisles on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night. They decide to take the night off. Uh, but baby, can you, oh God. Uh, Hallelujah. But can I remind you, hallelujah, that this could be the night that you get your miracle. That this could be the night that you get your breakthrough. That this could be the God. Mm. 
in Jesus. Somebody shout, no days off. No days off. David found himself when he should be going to battle, when kings go to battle, found himself wandering a roof. And maybe just that day he didn't feel like fighting, Pastor. Maybe that day he didn't feel like worshiping. Maybe that day he was just trying to take it easy because he had already been through enough up to this point. But he's found himself in an idle place. Oh, God. He found himself in a place of wondering. He found himself, hallelujah, in a place uh, where, if I can just say it this way tonight, his phone was more important than getting to the presence of God. I thought I'd go ahead and hit that. His, his, his social media was more important than getting to the presence of God. What others would think about him was probably more important than making sure that he had his sword by his side. Hallelujah. Maybe if he was out on the battlefield, he wouldn't have fallen headlong into adultery. I wonder how many people would not fall into sin if they kept their word close by. I wonder how many people, hallelujah, how many families would be sealed together today if they kept their sword close by. I wonder how many marriages, hallelujah, would be together tonight if it was founded on the word of God. So David fails, he plots, he plans, he kills Uriah. He has Uriah killed, I should say. He covers up, tries his best to cover up the sin because sin is always going to conceive something. So now there's a baby that's born out of adultery. This baby dies and now David's mourning the death not only of a child but the death of Uriah. Not only the death of a child, not only the death of Uriah but now his reputation. He's got a blemish. Oh God. And the Bible says that he's mourning now. He's not even eating. He's fasting. He's, he's not himself. The man of God comes by because the Lord spoke to the man of God. And he began to speak to David in a riddle. And as David would respond in the flesh, Nathan points at him in the spirit and says, Thou art the man. You're the man I'm talking about. You're the man that's fallen into sin. You're the man that's failed. And he looks at David. And David does something that's just completely different from the generation we live in right now. Oh, God. What does David do? I'm just getting down here with y'all. Get comfortable tonight. What does David do? David doesn't deflect. He doesn't say, well, it was her fault if she wasn't bathing at this time and if she, if she wouldn't have sent me that text message, if, if she wouldn't have invited me to coffee, if, if he wasn't just so handsome. No. No, David responded. He took ownership of his failure. He took ownership of his mistake. He said, you know what, man of God, you got me. I'll tell you what David didn't do. He didn't just change churches. <laughs> God. Preacher. 
I know you pinned me and you got me and the Lord, the, the Lord, hallelujah, revealed this thing to you. And instead of saying, no, Nathan, you've got it wrong. No, you're not going to tell me what to do. No, no. He just, he, he repented. You see, what would happen if we can, oh God, what would happen if we can just have old-fashioned Pentecost? What would happen if we can just have old-fashioned Christianity where the man of God can say, hey, you shouldn't have that in your house. And hey, you shouldn't have that relationship. And hey, I don't think that's going to work out for you. Hey, why don't we pray about it before we do it? And the, uh, and the people of God says, you know what, pastor? Let's pray about it. You know what, pastor? I think you're right. You know what, pastor? You're looking out for my soul. I tell you, David, after he repented, Pastor Moats, I'm sure walking on the king's roof never felt the same. I'm sure any time he was on the king's roof, every time he looked over the balcony, he was reminded, oh, that doesn't feel good. But he was still the king. Mm. God still had a plan for his life. Let me just talk to the failures that are in this room just like me that have ever messed up in your life. Let me talk to somebody tonight, hallelujah, who feels like, oh, I feel, like, I feel this in the Holy Ghost. Let me talk to somebody tonight who feels like, hallelujah, I can't recover from this. Hallelujah. Let me just, let me just help you tonight. Hallelujah. Let me just help you tonight. If you would just take a moment and get like David, hallelujah, and begin to pin the words, purge me with his sup. Ah, and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hallelujah. When you get to verse 10, the Bible says it was ownership. He said, create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew in me a right spirit. Hallelujah. I can't do anything about what somebody... I can't, I can't be so much concerned about the other party. I can't be so much concerned about what somebody else did to me. But God, if, you'll, if you're going to work on anybody, work on me. Work on my heart. Work on my spirit. Work on my attitude. Because ultimately, I've got to make it into heaven. Too many times, Brother Moats, we get caught and we just point the finger. If this wouldn't have happened, if that would have happened, this person hurt me. You don't understand, Brother Dunn, what they said. You don't understand what my boss was doing to me at work. And we point the finger. But when was the last time you woke up and looked in the mirror and said, Lord, I ain't got it all together. Lord. I need you today. When was the last time you looked in the mirror? And the enemy wants to remind you of every failure and every flaw and every mistake. Pictures of people's faces come up in the middle of the night and you find yourself dragging that bitterness everywhere you go. When was the last time you took it to an altar and you said, Lord, 
I can't do anything about the past. Lord, I can't do anything about this individual or that family or that person. But Lord, I can, uh, Lord, I can bring my, oh, I can bring my flesh to an altar. Lord, I can bring myself to an altar and say, create in me a clean heart. If you want to change anybody's heart, here I am. I'm on the operating table. Change my heart. If there's anybody's spirit that needs to be right, Lord, start with me. My spirit needs to be right. Believe it or not, that was all just a launching pad. Because we get to verse 12. And we see, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm simple. I just have simple revelations. When I read Psalm 51 and 12, I see where David failed. I see where David went wrong. It didn't start when he was walking on the king's balcony. It didn't start when he was looking at that pretty woman bathing herself. That, that, that's not where he started. That's not where his failure started. We find out where, he, where his failure started in Psalm 51 and 12. He pins, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Let me tell you where David messed up. Oh, God. It's when he lost the joy of living for God. You want to know where David messed up? It's when his sword became more of an obligation than an opportunity. It's when, if I can say it this way tonight, it's when church is something you have to go to instead of get to go to. You want to know where backsliding starts? Backsliding doesn't start in front of a computer screen when you're watching pornography. Backsliding doesn't start, hallelujah, when you're in the backseat of a car with somebody you're not supposed to be with. Backsliding doesn't start when you light up that cigarette or take that shot glass. And I'll show you where backsliding starts. It starts when you when you go from this, when you go from this, when you go from worshiping, hallelujah, backsliding starts is when you get a seat back here and you fold your arms and you don't have any more joy and you're not happy about the you're not happy about the things of God anymore. Backsliding starts when you're on a pew somewhere and you're not happy about being there. Backsliding starts, hallelujah, when the Holy Ghost is moving and you'd rather go to the bathroom than the basket is present. Backsliding starts on a pew. But David said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Help me to remember what it felt like when I lifted up my hands and I was no longer bound by cigarettes and nicotine 
Help me to remember what it felt like when I tried to drown out all the nightmares and everything that was going on in my mind and in my body and in my family and in my finances. I tried to drown it out with Jack Daniels. I tried to drown it out with a shot glass. I tried to drown it out with pills and a needle. And a needle. But if you'll restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, what it felt like when the night I got the Holy Ghost, I want to feel that again. What it felt like the night I was baptized and all my sin was washed away. What I want to know, Lord, restore unto me the joy of dancing restore unto me the joy of running and leaping and lifting my hands restore it unto me David you're more than a conqueror You were supposed to be on the battlefield conquering. But because you put the joy of your salvation on the shelf, you were conquered. I know what I feel in this place tonight. There's some folks that are blending in in this service right now. You know how to have church. You know how to play church. But there's coming a roof, a roof, a rooftop moment for you. Because you're going through the motions. You think David planned on falling into adultery that day? No. You think David planned it perfectly to be on that roof to see a beautiful woman? bathing and washing herself no you think he planned out his own demise no baby I feel this in the Holy Ghost I want to warn somebody you can plan how you backslide but you don't plan how you fail You, you, you can plan your own delusion but you don't get to plan your own demise The Holy Ghost sent me here tonight. I, I, felt, I felt like I need, I, I'm so glad that Pastor Moats confirmed that he wanted me to come because I felt like I needed to be here tonight. There's somebody that's hanging in the balance. And if you'll be honest with yourself, hallelujah, I'm coming to you with the spirit of a prophet like Nathan. I'm not going to come to you tonight because it's, it's too much in Pentecost. We go to somebody, we pull them out of the altar, we pull them, we pull them out of their pew into the altar, we shake them a little bit, and they did it, and they and they and they pray and they cry and they and they respond to the emotion of what's happening. They pray to themselves, but they don't pray through themselves. And the enemy, the moment they get in their vehicle, the moment they go home, Pastor Moats, the enemy comes in. He lets you shake. He lets you shout. He lets you cry. But he'll come in like the snake that he is. And he'll tell you, you only did that because they wanted you to do that. You only responded that way because mama came and got you and daddy came and got you. And the elder came and prayed for you. That's the, that's the only reason why you responded. But if you'll make it up in your mind. If you'll make it up in your mind tonight. Hallelujah. That I don't have to stay here in these chains. 
I don't have to stay here in this bondage. I don't have to just wander around, hallelujah, aimlessly before I fall into my demise. But tonight would be a good night for you to find yourself in the altar because you don't understand, hallelujah, this could be the night that your marriage is saved. This could be the night that your family is reunited. This could be the night, hallelujah, that God turns everything around. Restore. His joy was tarnished because he didn't take care of it. It's, a, it's, just, like, it's just like that nice bike that you get. You can be seated if you want to. It's just like that nice bike you get. You leave it out in the elements. You leave it out in the rain. And all of a sudden it starts getting rusted and getting tarnished. And one thing, that mongoose that you, I'll just talk about myself. That mongoose bike that you had as a boy you didn't want anybody to ride it you didn't want anybody to touch it you, you, didn't, you didn't want anybody to steal it you locked it up, it meant something to you but over time you start taking it for granted and, it, and you leave it out in the rain and you lay it down on its side and anybody can ride it and uh, you, it, it gets stolen and it's been missing for two weeks and you don't even realize that it's gone but then when you recover it and you really start inspecting it, you're like, man, what happened to this thing? You happened to it. I hope I'm not being too hard tonight. And so it's rusted and tarnished and you look at it and you think, well, it's not even worth riding. It's not even worth keeping. I'm trying to prevent somebody from backsliding tonight. That's what I feel. <laughs> I've messed up too many times in private, so why in the world would I worship him in public? It's not even worth it anymore. <laughs> you don't know what I've gone through, Pastor. You don't know what I've gone through, Evangelist. Brother Dunn, you don't, you, don't, you don't understand my story. Baby, I don't have to understand your story. Because I want you to understand tonight that God's in the restoration business. God's in the restoration business. I talked to a man that's in the business of restoring vehicles. Uh, he goes to a church in Indiana. And he told me how he spent about two or three hundred hours on this one vehicle. He put all this money into restoring this whatever car it was. And he said, I'm almost finished, Brother Dunn. I said, really? He said, yes, sir. He said, I spent all this time in it. My wife's going to be so glad when I'm done with this, this project. I said, well, if you don't mind me asking you, what's it look like? He showed me. I thought, that's a junker. It's been sitting in, you see it sitting in overgrown grass. It's rusted. It's, it looks like there's nothing to it. Then he showed me how, where, he, where he has it now and how it's painted. and It has all its original parts. I thought, man, that thing is beautiful. That's nice. I said, what are you waiting on? He said, you wouldn't believe it, Brother Dunn. He said, I'm waiting on a little 300 piece, a $300 piece that goes in the windshield wiper. I said, wait a minute. 
You can't go to AutoZone and spend $19.99 for that piece. He said, no. He said, because the value lies in its original parts. <laughs> Brother Moats, when he said that, I knew. I said, that'll preach right there. He said, the value lies in its original parts. He said, everything on this car is original. And so that, 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 that did something to me. I started doing research on restoration. And there's two different things. When you go to a museum, you walk through and you see things in glass cases and you'll see the value of them. These relics that were dug up, these relics uh, from hundreds of years ago, people have dug them up and they've put them in glass, a glass case. You'll see a coin that, I don't know, George Washington was trying to buy a Coke with or something crazy that it fell out of his pocket, you know, whatever. It's been picked up. It's been dug up. And it's something that is sitting in a case. And it's valuable, but it's untouched. It has tarnish still on it. has a little bit of rust on it. Because the value is in the age. The value of that thing <laughs> is in how long it can sit. But the value of a vehicle is not in how much you can restore into it. But the value is when you turn that key and it starts up and it begins to ride and it begins to move. The value in that vehicle, hallelujah, the value in that vehicle is not in how, long, how much longer it can sit. But it's when you put all the original pieces and parts back together. And it begins to work like it's supposed to work. I, I want somebody to understand something in this place. You may have messed up. You may have failed. You may have slipped up. You may have messed up with God. You may feel like I'm no good. What can God do with me? I'm glad you asked tonight. Because he wants to put the original parts back on you. And your value doesn't lie in you sitting in a pew. Woo, God. Your value doesn't. Mm, your value is not the fact that you put a necktie on and you put a nice dress on and you look good and, and you come to the house of God. But your value is in how can you get this motor moving? How can I get to the altar? How can I lift up my hands? How can I actively pray? How can, oh God, when he restores me, hallelujah, can I tell you what happened to me? Hallelujah, in February of 2009, hallelujah, I was raised in a Pentecostal church, but I just got sick and tired of going to church at the age of 16 and I backslid and I walked away from God and you're looking at somebody that became addicted. You're looking at somebody that became bound. You're looking at somebody that carried a gun and wasn't afraid to point it in your face. You're looking at somebody that broke in the vehicles. You're looking at somebody that put people in wheelchairs. You're looking at somebody that was broken. Hallelujah. Tarnished and rusted. But in February of 2009, God got a hold of my heart, and I came out of the I came out of the case. I went to an altar, and I said, "Lord, if you're willing to restore the joy of Thy salvation, I'm willing to I'm willing to yield myself to You." 
That's what God wants to do for somebody in this place. He wants to restore you. He wants to restore you. He wants to restore you. Where is the joy of living for him? Where is the joy? Hallelujah. When was the last time you praised God on the sheer fact that he saved you? When was the last time that you gave God praise just because of the fact that he filled you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost? When was the last time you ran a lap just because of the fact that you were baptized in his name? It's 831. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. See, Brother Motes, we always want something from God. Give me, give me, give me. Some of us, our praise and our worship comes with fine print, terms and conditions. I'll praise you if you bless me. I'll praise you if you give me the raise. I'll, I'll praise you if you open up this door for me. Some of us just praise God because that's what we want. We want things. He's become our ATM. Hope I'm not being too rough tonight. I just, I just, I just feel at home. I'm, I'm being myself tonight. But when was the last time? When was the last time? Oh, God. My grandmother, she used to get up. She would testify. And she would say, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, all that he's D-O-N-E for me, past tense, I think about everything he's done. If he never does anything else for me, He's still worthy of my praise. If I, if I don't get healed over here, I'm going to get healed over there. And he's still worthy of my praise. If my situation and my predicament doesn't change, he's still worthy of my praise. I think, David, if you would have just thought about how it felt to let that rock go out of that sling and that giant fall, would you have been pacing on the king's roof? If you would have just thought back of what it felt like to dance before the Ark of the Covenant, would you have been pacing on the king's roof? If you would have just thought back what it felt like to use that sword that's never failed you. You see, we've got joy in this house because we've got the Holy Ghost. But the Bible says righteousness, joy and peace, it's ours, but it's in the Holy Ghost. We've, we live in a world right now where happiness is fleeting, it's circumstantial. But joy, <laughs> when I can pay all my bills, I've got joy. But when I can't pay a bill, I've still got joy. When I'm healthy and when I'm unhealthy, I've still got joy. It doesn't change. 
The Bible says, some of us are wondering, what is all this dancing and running and screaming and hooping and hollering? What is all this, what is all this running the laps all about? It's joy unspeakable. And it's full of glory. I can't put words to it, but I can show you. Where the Holy Ghost is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, but there's fullness of joy. And if you're in this room tonight, you're in a place where joy is had. Anywhere that the Holy Ghost fell in the, in the book of Acts, we, we see even specifically in one place that as the Holy Ghost fell, I believe it is Acts chapter 10, the Bible says, and there was great joy in that city. It was after the Holy Ghost showed up. And there's some people in this room tonight that all you know is sadness, depression, you know what it feels like to be overwhelmed. You know what it feels like to be isolated. That season of happiness is just so short for you. But then life comes rushing in. And all you think about is responsibility and the weight of every decision that you have to make. When's the last time you just chose joy? Tonight, can I tell you what altar calls are all about? Altar calls are all about a decision. A decision. You know, salvation's a choice, right? Nobody forces you to get baptized in the name of Jesus. You make the decision to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Nobody forces you to receive the Holy Ghost. You just receive the Holy Ghost. Nobody can force you to repent. But altar calls are all about decisions. I know you're standing. You stand longer in Walmart. It's okay. Altar calls are all about decision. And my question to you tonight is what are you going to choose over repentance? What's worth going back home to, keeping in your glove compartment, keeping in that top shelf in your bedroom? What's worth keeping in the refrigerator outside in the garage? What's worth keeping in your purse? What's worth keeping on your cell phone. Aren't you tired of looking at that stuff and having to... <laughs> Aren't you tired of viewing it and have to try to cover your tracks and clear the history? Can I tell you something greater than just clicking a button to clear that history? Is when you make a decision and say, Lord, I want to take on your name in baptism. Because that's the greatest delete button that's ever been. <laughs> when I'm baptized in the name of Jesus, my sins are remitted. They are washed away to be remembered no more. We allow God to take our sins and fulfill what his word says. That he cast our iniquity and our sin into the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. No longer to be remembered any longer. Wouldn't you want your sins washed away tonight? Wouldn't you want to be filled with joy, not happiness? If I gave you a million dollar check, you'd be happy. 
But after you spent that million dollars, you wouldn't be happy long. But if you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got joy. And you get to keep it when the money runs low. You get to keep it if your family turns their back on you. You get to keep it when... My question to you tonight, my question to you, backslider, my question to you that's riding the fence, my question to you tonight, sinner, is what's keeping you from making the right decision tonight? Somebody in this place, I'm finished right here, I promise you. Somebody in this place, I, I felt it in the Holy Ghost. You said, well, preacher, I'm not making a decision tonight. That's okay. Let me give you, let me just tell you a little story about not making decisions. There's a man that was sitting on the fence. And all of heaven showed up and said, come, get off the fence. Come to our side. It's wonderful over here. All of hell showed up on the other side of the fence and said, hey, come to our side. We have fun over here. You get away from all those church people. You get to have fun over here. That man sitting on the fence. He's sitting on this post. He's waving. He's swinging both of his legs. He looks to heaven and says, I'm not making a decision today. I'm good right here. He looks to hell and says, you know, devils, I, I, I just, I just, I'm not making a decision today. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe Sunday. And so the angels disappear the devils disappear. And a few moments later, he's still sitting on that fence and the devil shows up. And he says, okay, I need you to make a decision. What are you going to do? Very frank and honest with him. Brother Motes and that man said, oh, I already told the demons that I'm not making a decision today. I already told them. I, I told heaven too, I'm not going anywhere. I just want to stay right here. And the devil looked at him and said, but it doesn't work that way. And that man said, well, Why? And he said, because I own the fence. Oh, God. You think you're not making a decision tonight when really you are. By not coming to an altar and repenting of your sins. By not being buried in the only saving name, the name of Jesus Christ. You're making a decision tonight. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised the drive home. Oh, Brother Motes, I preached conviction just a few months ago in Mississippi. And there was a couple that was sitting in the back, and I was just pulling for them. Come on. They cried. They grabbed their hands, grabbed one another's hands. They prayed, but they wanted to stay. They stayed on the fence. I said, come on. If I came to you, the devil would make you feel like I did it. But if you do it together, God's got something great for you. Brother Moats, they stood up, and they walked out the back door. They drove a mile and a half up the street and got into a head-on collision with another truck. And it didn't kill them. 
but it severed the spine of the man. It broke the legs of the woman. And I thought the two things that they would have to use to get to an altar. I just saw, I just saw that pastor at camp meeting in Arkansas. And he said that when he went to the hospital room to pray for them, that they looked at him, both of them, in separate rooms and said, I should have went to an altar. I should have made the decision. I know he was talking to me. I should have went. Brother Moats, that happened in December. This pastor said now, he said it's miraculous. He said they've gone to rehab. And they only needed six weeks of rehab for a severed backbone and broken legs. And now they're the strongest couple in his church. I rejoice over that. But what this pastor said to me, he said, I, I was so excited for that. I said, that sounds so wonderful. That's so great. But he said something that just convicted me. He said, but they didn't have to have a broken back and broken legs. They could have just decided instead of letting, oh, instead of allowing their attention to be gotten in that form. Ladies and gentlemen, God thinks so much of you that he'll allow anything to get your attention. That's why he sent a preacher here tonight. Because you don't know what's down the road for you. Uh, don't. Oh, God, I feel this. I don't want to leave this place, Brother Motes. And you call me and you say that, that man and that woman, that young person was in that service that night you preached. And they didn't make it back. And that's who you were preaching to. Yeah, these altars are open right now. I wonder if you'll make a decision. Come on, I wonder if you'll find a place to pray right now and say, God, I need you to restore unto me the joy. Come on, I wonder if there's somebody in this room that needs the Holy Ghost, if you'll just step out, hallelujah, and say, hey, pastor, will you pray for me? Come on, if you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus, the Bible way, hallelujah, you gotta be buried in his name. That's the only way, hallelujah, that they were baptized in the New Testament is by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none under the name uh, under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved can I tell somebody tonight now's not the night for you to make a beeline uh, to the bathroom now's not the time uh, to make a beeline out the back door but find yourself in an altar and say God clean me uh, clean me purge me uh, wash me uh, give me a right spirit uh, God salvage my home uh, salvage my marriage uh, salvage my family God uh, hallelujah restore the joy of living for you. Restore the joy of thy salvation. Prayer is not going to be a drudgery. Worship is not going to be something that I have to do, but it's going to be something I get to do. Hallelujah. Church is not just something to check off, a checklist, but I'm going to get into your presence because I love you, God. Come on, make your way. 
pray, pray, pray. Come on, pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's have a prayer meeting right now. I know it's 845. Hallelujah. But is there somebody that can tarry in the altar? Is there somebody that can pray and get a hold of God and say, God, restore. Restore unto me the joy. Restore unto me the joy. I'm making a decision tonight. I'm making a decision tonight. I don't want to leave here the same way I came. I don't want to leave here depressed. I don't want to leave here bound. I don't want to leave here manipulated. I don't want to leave here perverted. But I want to leave here changed by your power, by your spirit. Restore it to me, oh God. Jesus, come on. Life has rusted you out. Come on. Decisions. Hallelujah. Failures and mistakes has tried to rush you out. It's tried to tarnish you. But tonight, it's time for you to say, God, make me new. Make me new. Come on. Put the original parts back where they belong. Hallelujah. Because it's time for me to get active. It's time for me to be and do what you call me to be and do. Come on. Pray, church. Hallelujah. I wonder if there's somebody, if it's appropriate, a sister to sister and brother the brother will you pray for somebody right now hallelujah it's time hallelujah we're shouting we're dancing we're singing but why are we doing it because we've got the joy we've got the joy of thy salvation hallelujah we've got the joy of his salvation